on the Berlin. Ich bin ein Berliner. G'day everyone, welcome back to Your Story. I'm your host Ian Kath, this is episode 71. Yes, thanks for coming back and it is all about your story because I actually know a little bit about your story. The mere fact that you're here listening to this podcast episode, that you're on the internet, means that in the last few years your life has probably fundamentally changed. I think for most of us, our life has changed a great deal here in the West because of the internet. And we're going to discuss a little bit about how artists deal with all these changes and the impact that it has on them and the way they make their living, particularly within the world of filmmaking. But I just want to remind you that you can get all the links to this episode as we talk about it at yourstorypodcast.com. I have another podcast, of course, at createyourlifestory.com. If you want to go check that out, you might find some interesting hints and tips on how to record a life story of somebody interesting in your life. But as well as finding links to create your life story, you'll also find links to the emails so you can send me an email. I love hearing from you. I love getting any sort of feedback from you in any way, shape or form. There's also a Facebook fan page. There are iTunes links. It's great if you can post a comment on iTunes. It's always wonderful for people to have a bit of an understanding of what the episodes are about from your point of view rather than from mine. And there are links to IOTO PromoNet at IOTO Alliance where I get all this cool and funky music. If you like the music, check out the links at the end of this episode 71 and maybe consider looking after the artists by purchasing the music if you like it that much. There are also Amazon links. If you'd like to buy things through Amazon, why don't you use the Amazon link at yourstorypodcast.com? It helps to support what I'm doing here, and you get exactly the same shopping experience as you normally get, but I get a small return. Now, like I said, the internet has impacted us in so many ways, hasn't it? All of the media systems in particular have changed profoundly. So many different ways of getting information compared to the ways that we used to get it 20 years ago. And the model for funding and financing and distributing that information has changed a great deal. In the case of myself, even though I come from the trades, I've lost four careers because of digital technologies. Very frustrating, and that's one reason why I'm over here at Your Story, creating a new world for myself. But everybody who's ever been involved in producing content has to reassess the way things are done. And that's what today's episode is about. Today's episode is another one of those that I recorded while I was in Berlin recently. We sat down and had a bit of a yarn about filmmaking, independent filmmaking, and how that happens. But this is a slightly different version on the traditional filmmaking path. Yes, there is some filmmaking in it, but it's also coming from a different background. And using those different skills in a way to help herself and other people to increase their potential with their filmmaking experiences, not only for funding, but also for distribution, because that's what's necessary nowadays. You may remember back on episode 58, we spoke with Adam about the different ways that films are being promoted, distributed, marketed because of all the way things have changed and how fundamentally things have changed. Well, today we dig a little bit deeper into that as far as an indie film producer. 
and explore some of the different ways of going about it. But what we talk about here today is relevant to not just independent filmmakers, but also pretty well everybody who's involved in media in one way, shape or form. Any of the creative arts on the internet can take some lessons from what we're talking about here. Because we've got to invent new models. We've got to invent new ways of getting our stories across. And it doesn't matter what particular stories you've got. You've got to find new ways of funding yourself and actually distributing those stories. So today's episode is a great episode for virtually everybody who's interested in independent media production, I suppose. Now, like I said, there are links on the site at yourstorypodcast.com, so you can go directly to all the relevant information. There have been some changes in the last couple of months since I recorded this episode. So the name that we're referring to now, unlike the name that we've used in this episode, is now IndieKraut. I-N-D-I-E-K-R-A-U-T. All the links are on the site if you want to get some more information, but just ignore the name that we use in the discussion that we have later on in this episode. But like I said, this episode is great for all those people out there who are into self-promotion, who want to get themselves out there, who want to cross-market what they're doing with different systems, how to promote themselves, and how to make it work. So let's find out how an independent filmmaker does it with an interesting background that enables her to help other people and also a bit of a spin by having spent several years in Asia and the difference in culture and what that brought to her life. Here's Julianne's story. Today's the 1st of March, 2012. Juliana Block. Hello. Hello. Welcome to your story. I'm here sitting in your spacious apartment. I hope everybody doesn't mind the brightness of this, but we've got lots of big flat walls around us, so it's quite sharp and bright in here. And you're going to tell us about independent filmmaking and what you're doing in the world of trying to bash out a career as a filmmaker. I met you a few days ago because of a good friend of ours, Adam Daniel Mazay. Hello, Adam, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. Uh, and he introduced me to you, and we've caught up a few times, and you've told me a bit about yourself, but I'd like to dig into what it's really like to be an independent filmmaker because so many people aspire to make movies and make films and dream of it. Is it something you've always dreamed of doing? Actually, no. And it's very funny that I read once that most independent filmmakers call themselves filmmakers way past the point where they actually do films. Meaning, I did films, but when somebody asked me, like in the early stage, what are you doing? I said, ah, well, I'm a freelance graphic designer, but I also do films. So you're kind of like reluctant to say like, oh, well, I'm an independent filmmaker. Maybe that is uh, one of those European attitudes like Americans brag more about it like from the start even if they don't have a film yet maybe it's like okay well I'm a filmmaker and that's it but it took me I don't know a couple of short films and my first feature film which was very very low budget before I said oh well I'm an independent filmmaker and sometimes I do a little graphic on the side so just to twist it around so in that sense I didn't really think of I want to be an independent filmmaker, but when I directed my very first short film and I did it to find France and Malaysia where I was new at that moment, after the first shooting day, which was okay, 17 hours, the footage was 
so so I was like running around for one week completely happy and I was like oh well this is what I want to do for the rest of my life so I think that was a decision to just push push it further and see where it goes so far so good have you studied filmmaking no I studied industrial design at the oh. university You're an industrial designer. I'm an industrial designer. I'm going to fall in love now. I love industrial (laughs) designers. Yeah, that's... that's, I've worked around industrial designers most of my life, and, you know, that's a fringe career of mine, so to speak. Oh, very cool. Um, But industrial design's a long way from art. Yes and no. There is an element of art in industrial design. All beautiful machinery and industrial things have an element of art in them, for sure, but it's more related to engineering, I think, than, say, graphic design. I think a graphic design mm-hmm. is much more artistic. Like Graphic design and industrial design cross at user interfaces, so you can't really tell what it is. For example, if you do a website... You can tell if it's industrial design or if it's graphic design because basically the graphic design part is the communication with the user. The industrial design part is um, designing how this actually happens. So there you have like a, um, a direct link between the two. When I was in university, I actually didn't do much of the very classic industrial design stuff. Like making a steering wheel for a car. Like that, for example, I also was not entirely... I got um, bored when I did my models and they looked like shit, so I decided <laughs> more into graphic stuff. And you can... So more the user interface. Yes. So like my, my projects I did were um, mainly user interfaces, web-based. And in the final end, when I graduated, my diploma was actually production design for film. Okay. So, okay. which so I would never have made that connection with industrial design as being that sort of thing. I always think of industrial design as being physical products. Well, in production design, it can be. So, like, mm. it's kind of it's it's like sub areas of industrial design. But yeah, well, the core of industrial design is manufacturing technical items and designing them basically, and working with an engineer to actually make it happen. But you don't have to necessarily do that. So they allowed me as well, like, to be freely about it. And actually, I wanted to change after two years. I wanted to change to graphic design. And then I figured, even though they actually pushed to the outside, oh, we are one big art university and one big design. Uh, major, it's very tough to change internally. So in, inside the university, I would have to make all the courses again. So I decided, okay, then I just push it now through because I don't want to waste two years. <laughs> so how did you go from even that soft version of industrial design across to film? Um, while I was studying, I, I had a passion for special effects makeup. My mom sold beauty makeup in evening parties to the neighborhood women and I always like scrap together the pieces left over and for some reason it never ended up pretty so like I just use it like to make myself real ugly and then like she had a book um, or she gave me a book when I was 10 or something about like how to make appliances and stuff so I started buying more and more by myself when I was in university I had like a record of zombies and all kind of stuff some fellow students saw it and she said well why don't you talk to my friend he's doing a zombie film at the moment it was one of those we go out at the weekend with a I think it was H8 whatever like some video camera they were shooting on I talked to him he said come along we're shooting next weekend and that was a start in 99 that was 
And then I was getting deeper and deeper um, involved in this zombie film, a total crap film, by the way, but it was real fun to do. And out of this, and we founded a company called Das Fragment, film and graphic design. So I started doing film and graphic design as company next to my studies. Okay. And we had like, it was like image films, um, video loops for parties, graphic design, flyers, stuff like that. Meanwhile, also doing this zombie film. With him, I also did my diploma together. So like basically we did a short film together, produced, he directed it, but the production design was for both of us, our diploma in university. Slowly getting deeper and deeper into film. Yeah. Bit by bit. Yeah. You've got a very unusual accent. I've mentioned this to you before. You have this very unusual accent. You are, you are German, correct? That's correct. Yes, you are German, but your accent, your English accent is a weird blend because you went to Malaysia. That's right. Tell us about going to Malaysia. Why did you go there of all places? Well, after this company, for several reasons, we decided to close it. It was more like a personal and financial crash. (laughs) Sure. Well, I said, well, now it's the time I can do something which I always wanted to do, but I never did because of the company, which is going abroad. So I chose, and I thought, where to go? I knew I wanted to go into filmmaking, and I thought, I can go to North America, the obvious choice. But I would have been one of a million other filmmakers, nothing really special about me, no track record. So I go to the other side of the world, I chose Hong Kong, because I thought that's like the hub of Asian filmmaking, people speak English. I met my ex-boyfriend in Hong Kong and followed him to Malaysia when he said, well, I'm setting up a company in Malaysia you want to follow. I said, oh yeah, why not? Let's explore as much as we can. And that's how I ended up in Malaysia. And first, I have to admit, I hated it. I completely hated it. So where in Malaysia? Uh, Kuala Lumpur. I think there is almost, most people live in Kuala Lumpur. Maybe Penang has a couple of expats, but that's pretty much it. But you're in KL. Yeah. And that is when I was kind of like very unhappy, but that was good for me because that was when I did this first uh, short film I mentioned early on to just meet people. So I was like, okay, I'm tired of sitting around and doing nothing and waiting. So I started up like actually meeting people and I already had in mind to shoot a feature film. I went to acting classes to meet people who want to act for free. And then I actually posted some sort of um, advertisements to find people who want to work for free just for the sake of it. And I actually got a pretty good team. And most of these people are still very good friends of mine and stayed friends for the entire time I stayed there. And how long were you there? In Malaysia, four years. In Asia, six years. Okay, okay. That accent of yours that I just commented on is a blend of... Malay, I think, and Indian. And I've got to describe to people this personality that you've got because I just think it's gorgeous. You have this slight head wobble that the Indians have when you talk. (laughs) (laughs) And that cliche of, oh my God, that they do. And they they shake their heads. And you do an element of that. I think it, I, I haven't seen you do it when you speak German, but I think you do it when you speak English. And it's very, very interesting how the Super funny. how the culture has crept into your very being and uh, your accent. So tell us about this feature you made. The first or the second? You, you've done two features? Yes. I thought you'd only done one feature. No, I've done two. Oh, okay. Tell us about the first one then. Uh, the first one is actually also a good story. So like many first feature filmmakers have this urge, I have to do it now. 
So like I have to prove to myself I can do it. So this is how that project started as well. It's called Emperor. It's a gangster story in Malaysia. We did everything you're not supposed to do. We wrote the script while we were already shooting and I didn't rehearse the actors because I didn't feel there was much improvement anyway. So like I, we just took it as we shot. We went much further with that film than I ever expected to go. So the film, we've um, completed the film in seven months. That was from the first idea until the final film. Um, the whole film in cash was 2,000 USD, and that included my phone bills as well. So everybody was working for free, had a really a good time. I think the biggest achievement was to get into the festival of first films in Asia, which was in Singapore. And we were thinking, to be honest, like when we got like um, the message that we got in, okay, that must be like a pretty crappy small film festival because otherwise we wouldn't get in. And then it was actually quite huge, so it was big. So that was something like which was really great. And and um, you're seeing the film like there on the big screen as well. Was it noticed by people, people of influence, or was it one of these small little films that just slipped through? Uh, well, slip through in the sense of, um, as I said, like we, we reached more people than I expected. I put it up for free online because I didn't feel DVD sales without a marketing budget at that point. Also, we wanted just to try out like how it works, and basically the film didn't cost much. So to put it up online was no, not much of a big deal Sounds for Sounds like us. it was more a learning experience, yes, a, bit of, yes. a bit of your own education, $2,000 for education. Yeah, yeah. We got the 2000 already back, and basically the film has been downloaded. I think I counted all the, the numbers together in uh, voodoo.net, and then there's uh, IndieFlix, and... Well, it has been watched on YouTube, and it was like 30,000 times or something okay. like that, so okay. this was not bad. It has been perceived quite good in Asia. People liked it really in Asia because it's some sort of, it's a bit like, they say like a little bit like a Hong Kong style gangster film. Sometimes a bit difficult to really understand the plot, which is mainly for Westerners actually, and that is the main uh, critic point in the West. So if you go to Hulu.com, where the film also is, is on, you can read a lot of interesting comments, which mainly are about missing subtitles. And Hulu.com just says, like, there's a button you can switch on the subtitles because the film is in five languages. Naturally, you don't understand it without subtitles. But people do not say, like, oh, well, I couldn't find the button for the subtitles. They say, what kind of crap film is this? I didn't understand it. I couldn't believe I was going to watch this for one hour and a half and waste my time. So that is like the comments I got like from the States. But then in, in, in Asia, I got many comments like, it's, it's such a great film and it's just like um, so cool that somebody just did it and people watched it, enjoyed it, enjoyed the story as well. So there's also like um, interesting how different people perceive different stories differently. Especially that. the Asian culture, appreciating yes. the Asian culture. Yes. Yeah. Plus the, the Asians can distinguish between the actors with like the... Westerners cannot. Mm. So they have trouble actually figuring out who is who. They yeah. all look the same. And that naturally is kind of like hard then to follow mm. the story. Ethnic blindness, it is real. Yeah. It is real. Yeah. Did that hearten you to move on to the second production? No, I was like, when I was, I never thought about quitting after that because it was way too much fun to do it. So it was just, okay. When I was reading um, comments which were bad, it was like, okay, well, 
I print that out and pin that on my door to actually read it in case of I'm getting a high and I'm like feeling like okay I can do everything I want so <laughs> then I just read it. Yeah. The, the criticism there is not constructive. In my second feature, I had big discussions with my co-director, like Kings. My second feature is um, done by Virginia Kennedy, an Australian, and me. We co-directed it, we co-wrote it, we co-produced it. You acted in it. I acted in it. The editor, um, she is a Swiss girl living in Paris, flew in for the editing to Malaysia. And Virginia strongly did not want to show this film in early editing stages to people to see how it works. They wanted to finish it. And I was like, no, you have to show it to people because otherwise, how do you know? Like, you finish the film and then, like, you just figure it out then that there are certain problems. So we really had an uh, um, argument about that, which was basically their fear to show something. And naturally, the first time you show it, people say, okay, well, I don't really get it. The sound is crap. They won't like it, but you get valuable information. So, and, and we did it, and um, in the final end, they had to agree that this is actually a good thing to do. And I think having my first film out there and getting all this criticism, I really don't care in the sense of, like, it doesn't hurt me very much. So, mm. you well, it's shit anyway, so, like, I might as well show it to see how I can improve it if you have, like, this attitude in, in certain stages of the development, production, pre-production. It's good, I think. How long has Kinks been out now? We finished it last year, basically premiered it in Malaysia in November 2011. It's an interesting storyline, isn't it? The, um, the whole concept of two people in conflict based around ethnicity, around beliefs. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's all about sisters, aren't they? Yeah. One is, uh, one is uh, very liberal and is pushing an agenda, and the other one is... Muslim and has got the responsibility of holding that agenda back and keeping it all in track. It's, it's a really um, an interesting concept. Actually, the second sister, she's not Muslim. She's Indian, which makes her hidden normally like in, or, um, in, in Asia. Oh, okay. okay. So like the, the Muslims are the Malays. But she is working for the Malay government yes. in the film. It, and is that a Muslim agenda? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So, but that is the interesting part about Malaysia, that it's all completely mixed up. Mm. Yeah. So. Now, it's an interesting little film, and, um, and it has some very funny moments, and uh, people can access it how if they want to check it out. It is supposed to be on iTunes and other outlets in North America in May 2012. And it's called? Kinks. Kinks. Okay, so people can check that if, out if yeah. they want to. At kingsthemovie.com can watch the trailer as well and uh, basically follow us on Twitter for any screenings coming up near wherever people are and um, well we are very open also to requests thinking of making something like house parties available for people so if they want to screen kings at their house like to friends um, make it happen give the possibility there is no current stage on the website yet where you can actually ask that but basically just drop us a line and we are very happy to see what we can do because most important as filmmakers is that you get an audience so we are all in it to make it happen and to get people the opportunity to watch it and if people go back to this episode on the site at yourstorypodcast.com there will be links so that people can find everything about kinks and yeah. you and emails and all the sites and everything how was the experience of living in malaysia for a german girl 
In the end, I made some very good friends. I think the biggest difference between the cultures are that they kind of like laid back, more relaxed, and I kind of like that because they still get things done. It's just like they don't stress themselves as much as Western people usually do if they go about their work. Malaysia is a strange country, I find, in many ways because the government is kind of strange, it's kind of corrupted, but then you find people through the different um, ethnics. Chinese, Malay and Indian to, to name the biggest ones they know it and they are living in it and they are so um, relaxed not about it but basically like um, they are very open minded, very clear about their position and about the flaws of their country but also the beauty of their country and to meet these people and th through them and with them to explore Malaysia and also the nice facets and everything that was great I mean that gives you like real really a lot of um, joy in terms of hanging out with friends learning a new culture food food is I think the biggest thing in Malaysia and most important were you inclined to stay shortly before I left I finally made the decision now I stay for another year before that I always say like three more months and then I'm gone and then I decided to stay longer and then I was gone I never intended to stay forever because I knew that for my career it's not very productive because the cultural background is not mine and it's difficult how many stories about white people coming to Asia can you possibly make as films in your career? So I knew at some stage in my career I have to go back to somewhere where there is like a white background just so the cultural background is matching. And when did you come back here? It's only been a few months, hasn't it? Mm, April in last oh, year. So it's nearly April a year. 2011. It's nearly a year. Yeah. So what now? What are you up to now? Well, when I came to Berlin, I came to Berlin actually because... So Berlin's not your original home no, part of Germany? No, no, I'm born in Celle. That's like a small town in between Hanover and Hamburg in the west. Okay. And then I moved to Hong Kong, Malaysia, and now back here. So yeah, no, I haven't lived in Berlin before, so that's new. decided on coming back to Germany because my fiancé is Indonesian. And I lived in Jakarta the final mo months before I left. And Jakarta I find very difficult because it's huge. The infrastructure is terrible. The social security is non-existent. And they have very nice people there. Like this is like, I mean, the people are gorgeous, but well, I just couldn't get around. Like the traffic just made me mad. And then I said, okay, I don't think I want to cover a career here. Once being back here, and then I'm like, we say, okay, it has to be Berlin. If it's with film, there is actually not much of a different choice. Maybe Hamburg, Munich, or Cologne, but basically Berlin was the first choice. And now being back here, I think it's, it's awesome. I didn't expect it to be that great. I didn't know that Berlin is actually such a nice city to live in. Yeah, I do not regret coming back to Germany, specifically Berlin. Whereas I would say Berlin and Germany are two different elements. Yeah, yeah. like I've... I've come to Berlin, I haven't come to Germany, or even Europe, I've come to Berlin. It's a, it's a microcosm all of its own. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing now? Are you working towards another film, or are you working yeah. on another agenda? Now, towards another film, actually, like, I think you always should have a plan A, B, C, so they're different projects. Right now, I just finished the script for a feature film. And then the second thing is, Kings, my film, gets launched in May, and there I was thinking about an idea how I can promote and um, 
push filmmaking and income for independent filmmakers and for myself particularly of course on a regular basis which is not just like well because like if you if you do a film it's, it's so long where you have to go through like unpaid like in the beginning development stage and there's like um, this new project called Indie Tricks which combines crowdfunding and merchandise and we hope to launch it very soon we're independent filmmakers and hope to share it with all independent filmmakers who are willing to try out new possibilities to earn some money for a living for their projects before and after their projects I mean finished projects can come to us as well as uh, projects in development stage so for people who are on the outside of independent filmmaking just explain crowdfunding Crowdfunding is a new trend in financing your film, usually not used to fund your project 100%, 20% is a good number to say, also to build a fan base. And you have platforms on which you present your projects and you say, well, you want to be part of this project, please donate any amount you want. Usually um, it's between two, five US dollars up to 1,000 or more. Several thousand US dollars seldomly made through crowdfunding. So it's kind of going to the small people and asking them for 50 US dollars, 100 US dollars. As reward, you get some sort of perks, meaning, well, you give five US dollars, you get a thank you. You give 10 US dollars, you get a thank you, and maybe the link to a, a digital download of the film once the project is completed, and so on and so on. Um, I have seen participation of launch parties or t-shirts, posters, signed DVDs. Walk-on roles, participation in the script writing. I've seen all sorts of combinations also, depending on how much money you're prepared to throw at it. So all sort of things which come back for you like sort of as reward for the donation. But mainly people do it to support this independent artist. They most often know or have heard of before and they want to just see this project made. So you've taken that idea of Kickstarter and you're moving towards another model, which is the merchandising. Yeah. So in merchandise, music has done it a couple of times where musicians who have problems of earning money with the uh, music sell merchandise or create even their own clothing brands and are very successful in earning a lot of money. Everybody knows you can make tons of money through merchandise. Something like Hello Kitty, Emily the Strange, Prove It, which are just figures made for merchandise. And then actually sometimes a film, a book comes afterwards. As far as I know, Emily the Strange is right now turned into a film because of the success of this merchandise figure. Goodness, my daughter when she was younger was right into that. I didn't, had no idea it had turned into a film. I think it's right now being made. Goodness, how yeah. about that? Yeah, so, and Star Wars... Um, Did it the other way around. They had the story first and then yeah. the merchandising came afterwards. They made more money, as far as I know, with the merchandise than with the actual films. Yeah. And they made really a lot of money. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, all the big Hollywood... Yeah. It's a, quite a traditional model now, isn't it? That The big yeah. Hollywood films always So have take this yeah. and bring it to the independent filmmakers, which usually do not have merchandise. Iron Sky being one of the last examples really facilitated merchandise for their film and made quite a bit of money through it before the film was launched. At the panel discussion in the Berlinale Talent Campus, Timo, the creator, said 150,000 euro through merchandise, 10,000 euro through crowdfunding, 
And I think these figures show if you combine crowdfunding and merchandise in a way that there's definitely money for filmmakers to make to launch their projects, their careers, and make a living. And if you've been able to get out there and get some crowdfunding, then the big studios might look more favourably on throwing some money at you too. Yes. That's what happened with Iron Sky, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas I think big studios, I'm not entirely sure, but I think like in Finland, they still have also government support, as in Germany, that there is like the government helping and they are very favorable for new approaches if a filmmaker comes and has taking things in their own hand. So are you going to pursue the merchandising for Kinks? Yes, of course. Are you going to have people be able to put temporary tattoos on to be able to model themselves after you? Well, I have never thought about that, but that's an interesting <laughs> idea. Tell me about your tattoos. Oh, well, I think... Because we do see them in Kinks. Yes, and yes. And Not all because I got new ones after. Did you? Yes. yes. And, and, and I've done actually... I've actually recorded a podcast episode about tattooing, scarification, and body modification. All right. Because I am fascinated with it. I don't have any of this myself, but I do appreciate the beauty and art in it. So you have... I don't know how much of your book... One... Tattoo only. Oh, you only have one tattoo? Yeah, well, it goes from my toe up to my neck. <laughs> right, because in kinks you see it run up your back. And I went, goodness, there's a lot of tattoo there. Okay, so tell me about tattoos in your life. Um, I think tattoos are an addiction. And I think I'm an addictive person, personality. I think film filmmakers in general have to have that because otherwise how can you be in something and just stick with it? Like this is like this urge to do something. I got my first tattoo when I was 21 on my birthday. It was a shit tattoo and most people who have a lot of tattoos most of them have some sort of like disaster tattoo somewhere hidden or still on their body visible. I had a tribal on my ankle done very badly, uh, stitched too deeply so it actually starts bumping and the edges were kind of like not done very well and it was like a catalog thing so walk in, look through it and choose one. It's kind of like you get a tattoo and you already think about like, okay, I'm getting another one. And then I got another one, which was a snake slightly above my butt. I thought, okay, I'll make this bigger. So then I don't need another one. But while getting this, I already thought, okay, what can I do next? So I get like my full, my um, leg tattooed to cover up the first one on my ankle. And at some point then I thought, okay, well, then I want to connect it. So the pictures on my body are all my zodiac pictures. I'm born in the year of the snake. I'm Pisces, so I have two coins on my, my leg. The Native American has like some sort of calendar. I'm a wolf, so I have a wolf on my leg as well. And then the Chinese have also a moon sign that would be tiger, so I have a tiger on my back. I think there is also an Australian zodiac calendar. I think I'm platypus or something, and oh, I decided really? I don't want to have a platypus, so it's not going to be on my skin somewhere. Why I'm doing it? Because, oh, because I can. I don't know. It's, it's like you have the ability to change your body, which sort of distinguishes us from different animals. And this is why other, I find it fascinating. Other than maybe a chameleon. Yeah. Well, that's different. That is different. And if people want to see your tattoos, just go and have a look at kinks. You can, Absolutely. You can see a big chunk of them. Yeah. Yeah. Not all, but a lot. I put myself also in front of the camera in Kings because I wanted to try it out to lose completely the fear of all oh, these cameras. 
I don't want to act necessarily more in my life because I figured I enjoy the work behind the camera a lot more than in front. I want to be the creator of the story rather than get into a part of the story as um, actress. Just like this work in front of the camera gave me a lot of insight of the fears, insecurities, problems an actor or actress might have also from my side working with me as director. So, and subsequently, how to talk, how to make it easy, how to give um, good content, repeat the question, don't answer with yes or no. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I remember reading uh, the biography of Charlie Chaplin, and uh, up until Chaplin, maybe Buster Keaton, they said that actors were basically irrelevant. They had very little regard for actors because films were made by the producer. They were produced. Yeah, that's interesting. Everybody else was hired help. They were the first generation to go, no, hang on, we're actors, we're quality in ourselves, you know. And they went, oh, okay, okay, so we better pay you a bit more money. And then celebrity started from there. But up until then, there was no celebrity for actors. They were just hired help. Yeah. I think it always have to, there's always a next stage for something. And um, for example, I think this director, producer, what you hear often here, and I want to be the director to completely get into the creative part, is in my eyes, also, it's a mistake because if you do not have producers control and certain things, how you want to completely get creative about it because you always have someone who can just cut you off at any minute. And then it's like, yeah, well, I need somebody I can really work with. It's like, why would I want to invest all this time of my life and then not have complete control over the film and what happens with it? Of course, yes, you go through a learning curve and there's a lot, like, I wish film schools would teach in terms of, like, how to get your film distributed and then out there to a public because it's like, okay, now the film is made, same mistake I made, and then what to do with it. I think like maybe it went through this very strong director name as well, and now going back to director producer sort of like for independent yeah. films. And for that marketing point, if people want to get a bit of an understanding of the importance of marketing, go back about about six or eight episodes previously where we talked with Adam Daniel Mazay about uh, PMD, producer of marketing and distribution. It's a very important episode to understand if you're interested in filmmaking, the way that things are changing as far as getting your movie out there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was actually thinking, you know, you could have a Zodiac series of stick-on tattoos merchandised from Kinks. <laughs> Honestly, I think the idea is great. I might just actually uh, throw this. What we will have is, I mean, we have the T-shirts with the slogans because, like, there are a lot of scribbled slogans throughout the film which we use to actually put them on T-shirts, the poster you can buy. And then we will have notebooks because the whole film evolves around this book from the Guide to Moral Standards from the Ministry it's of It's a country. great name, isn't it? Is that a real book? No, we made it you up. You made it up. It's a great name, a guide to moral standards. So, yeah, we have a notebook where it's printed on, so you can buy it as, like, possibly an empty notebook or a calendar. I reckon inside. some of the cruising bars over where I'm staying would actually, they could sell that, you know, guide to moral standards, you know, when they're cruising uh, yeah. the gay nightclubs. <laughs> it's like just, okay, like getting the phone numbers of the girls or whatever, and yeah. you just write it in this little notebook. Yeah. I think something like this, like so stuff like this is definitely be in the merchandise for mm. King's plant. 
And any filmmaker, any independent filmmaker could, if they stopped to think about it, they could probably think of merchandise that's available out of their film. Yeah. They need to think a bit laterally. They don't want to just necessarily go with T-shirts and posters per se. But depending on what the film is about, they could, you know, they could come up with a you know, set of plates or cutlery or who knows what. Anything. 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 You know, cushions, depending on what's relevant to their story. And this is exactly where, mm. what, we, what we want to do, like to just think about it like, and think what is relevant for your story. And it's normally, it's a brainstorm. What I think also is like, it's kind of like an interesting concept to talk to these independent filmmakers, see what they do and get to know them as well and get to know their stories. And if you do it early enough in the production cycle, you could alter the script, alter the styling to incorporate these things rather exactly. than having to do it retrospectively. Like with Kinks, you have to think back on the film now. Yeah. to strip stuff out of it. But if you're doing it proactively, you can say, well, let's incorporate some scatter cushions on the couch that we're then going to merchandise. Absolutely. Are you offering a service here to other independent filmmakers? This is what we're planning to do with Initrix, um, to offer them basically to come with their project in whatever stage and to figure exactly what kind of merchandise products could be created to support their story mostly actually it's still the t-shirts and the posters and pins and cups and stuff which sells the most however to have these cool items some are related i think just push up the value of everything else as well so i actually am more ready to buy a t-shirt if there's something really cool like it's like what do i remember about iron sky is this toothbrush because it's so weird it's like i would never buy this toothbrush but maybe i buy the t-shirt because i find this toothbrush so fascinating something like this and this is what we want to offer independent filmmakers because we have this background as designers as well And, um, industrial designers too, in, which actually that that heads, that stuff inside your head from industrial design because I know industrial designers is really handy. Yeah, this is exactly where yeah. where the bridge is, and this is what most filmmakers. I, I guess most filmmakers are not necessarily a designer, not an industrial designer to sort with, not a graphic designer, and this is what my background is. Why I can help, and I have a team of other people. And another graphic designer, and this is all we want to do, like helping filmmakers to find. And that so out. often, Julian, it's people get so focused on their passion, their art, their whatever they're doing. In this case, film, they become locked into the paradigm, and they're not outside of it enough to see the possibilities. And somebody like you coming along, you're not emotionally involved in the film. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that consultant outside point of view. You suggested like to put like the stick out tattoos, which I find actually totally funny, and uh, maybe it's a good idea. I would never come up with such an idea because it's my tattoos, so I find it yeah. kind of it, it's not. It's, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad idea, but it's a lateral idea because I'm, I'm not involved in your film. Also, ask people to come up with ideas, so it's not just us. It's also crowd sourcing in the sense of get the fans involved what kind of merchandise do you want to see what do you want to buy what do you think is this story about like what do you and they might just throw ideas and mm -hmm. because they do it well if it gets into production they get one piece for free whatever something like this in a way crowdsourcing ideas absolutely so like there are many opportunities and as I said the value of what's given 
is bigger than in crowdfunding where I find because it's also like the, the term donation I do not want that somebody donates for my films I want that they enjoy it and want to have it and therefore pay money in the world of internet content marketing they have the model of there is the thing that you want and here is some extra stuff but you've got to pay for the extra stuff Yeah. In the case of this, here is the movie, you get that for free, but if you want the extra stuff, the t-shirt, poster, the tattoo, you've got to pay for that, and that actually supports the film. Yeah. It's, it's a very similar model. If the film is for free, in some cases maybe, short films maybe, some maybe not, we leave this up to the filmmaker, and very important is also it's not exclusive. I mean, the filmmaker basically could do this, they could all do all this by themselves, but then you can also launch your own crowdfunding campaign by yourself, and not getting anywhere because the necessary traffic and the back end is kind of difficult to establish. Mm. So and this is where we come in. So like, okay, well, if you have this, like, and if you want to sell it somewhere else, go ahead. It's not a problem. We have to still figure out the exact terms of licensing and stuff. Like you know, there's a funny thing too. You, you said if the film's for free, but I'll actually say eventually all films are free. Because eventually, they all end up on torrent sites, they all end up on YouTube, they all end up yeah. pirated. So ultimately, all films end up free. When they eventually do become free, if there is still a reason to get something out of the film... That's idea. There, That's is, idea. there is maybe a, a permanent income stream. It's a bit like a movie from the 40s or the 50s is now free. You can go and get it. You might still want to buy the poster. Yes, and, you, and people do pay premium prices for some of the original memorabilia from some of these books. and uh, collectors boxes stuff like this very is actually so. going very well so like I'm thinking like also like the normal DVDs I'm, I'm actually saying the film might not be for free because if filmmakers decide to actually offer it for like the download I mean we are thinking also of porting up with a different streaming platform where you can get linked straight to the platform for downloading the film for a couple of bucks It's up to the filmmaker. You're very alone with this opinion in Europe, specifically if you say, I put my film up for free because I think that pushes the film. Very funny. Timo, creator of Iron Sky, said the same thing. He said, like, well, you can get my first film on BitTorrent. And I know it's a very bad thing to say, like, because usually people go immediately if you say that, and you, wow, how can you do that? So, well, I put my film on YouTube because... I want to have people watching it. If they really like it, they can still buy the DVD. I mean, basically the idea is as more you spread the word, as more people really want something out of this film and are willing to pay something for it. But if they never know, they wouldn't buy the DVD anyway. Exactly, exactly. I don't think pirate copies, BitTorrent copies, things like this are as necessarily bad as everybody thinks. I remember hearing it said that when radio started broadcasting music, the music industry fought tooth and nail against it and then all of a sudden they realized that radio was their greatest marketing channel to sell more records and every single step of new technology has had this battle and we're going through another one at the moment which yes, is yes. The, I agree. the internet pirate version and I for that reason give everything I've got away and I expect it to be taken and run with. I think if you can change it Rather than battle it, embrace it, and try to turn it into your favor. Yeah, well, it's, it's like martial arts, isn't it? You take the energy and you use it rather than fight against it. What do you reckon about going and making a film? 
for all independent filmmakers or wannabe independent filmmakers, there's just one way. Just go and do it. And there's always a way to make it. Everything else is an excuse. I don't have an actor excuse. You can even take your soft toys and make a stop motion film out of it. Some of them are very good, actually. Exactly. Um, I don't have a camera. You can make films with your mobile phone. I don't have sound. Well, then make a silent film. So it doesn't matter. Like There's really no excuse in my eyes to not make a film if you really want to make one. Good advice. Good advice. What's your website again? What's the best way of people finding you? www.j-blockbuster.com There you go. Here we are. Thank you very much for coming on your story and telling us a bit about your life. Thank you for hearing me out. Find more great podcasts at lifestylepodnetwork.com.au.